0: Part of our attempt when you do a series on marriage is to give some very practical tools. Melissa Glaze and I were talking this past week and she had encouraged me once again to look at some of Dr. Gottman's writings as well as some of his video clips. And that's why I started out with a little video clip today. There are a lot of our marriages that are struggling in one of these four areas. And there's help and there's hope in Jesus I know last week we talked about marriage is expected, singleness is exceptional. Some of you relayed to me through emails as well as texts and even a couple of messages via Facebook. It was right what you needed at the right time. But I know that in a crowd this size, just as we started at 8.30 then at 9.45 this morning, some of you are hurting and some of you are broken. I love it when our choir just sort of jams with Jesus and that's what they did this morning just singing pure scripture from Revelation 19. God's Word is soothing. God's Word is healing if we'll allow it to be. Would you join me? Father, we just bow in your presence before we jump right in, Lord, and we talk about five things that potentially destroys our marriage. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would open up our hearts and open up our minds and we would be receptive to the teaching of Scripture as well as just common sense as it relates to our marriages. So now, Father, let us minister your word as well, Lord. We want to be hidden. We're not here today to be seen, but we are here today to be heard. And I pray that we as your people will not only hear but heed your word. So now, Father, rest upon us now with your power and your grace and your mercy, and we ask this now in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Brother Greg. Once again, on behalf of our pastoral staff, thank you for being here today, and it has been two incredible services. We believe a lot of ground has been covered in just a couple of weeks in this series, but I believe that today is going to help specific marriages I may not be aware of all the details, but the Holy Spirit is. I I do not have a video camera set up at your house, so I've not seen your arguments this past week. I've not seen things going on, but the Lord has, and because I pray for my church family and I pray for our marriages, I believe I might say one or two things today that might apply in your situation and maybe what you are going through. So we're going to talk about five things that will destroy your marriage but i believe a good place to start is god's word so if you have your bibles your smartphone your ipad or your kindle turn with me on your bible app to mark chapter 10 and i want to lay a foundation for our message today as we will proceed here in just a few minutes Uh, jesus is preaching and teaching as he often does in the gospels And then he comes in contact with a group of religious folks we call them the Pharisees and they have a monumental question that they will ask Jesus in this particular text of Scripture the Bible says and he left there and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again and again as was his custom he taught them and Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked is it lawful For a man to divorce his wife and he answered them what did Moses command you now before I go further people have been trying to figure out about divorce since the time of Moses they've been trying to figure out the why the how the when the where all of the things that surround it so what did Moses command you look at verse 4 they said Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away and jesus said to them because of your hardness of heart he wrote you this commandment most of the time when i deal with individuals who are going through a divorce walking through that valley of the shadow where both usually are at fault but one sometimes has triggered something I believe that most of the time we walk away from our covenant relationship with our spouse because of the hardness of our heart and the hardness of our head. Because we feel like there's just no use. There's no way I'm going to try anymore. So yes, God did permit Moses to give a writ of divorcement so that the spouse could be sent away. But then notice what Jesus does. Then he starts teaching. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, most of us believe that this is talking about us having an affair. That we let someone else into our marriage. No, sometimes the man or the woman is the person we're married to. So therefore, what God joined together, let not the husband separate. Let not the wife separate. So today's message is on five things that will destroy your marriage. Now all of us know that there are more than five. There may be 500 or more. But in my experience, it usually only takes one. One thing that we don't deal with, one thing that we're prideful about, one thing that we just won't pray about becomes our own Waterloo for our marriage. So let's talk about a few expectations, failing to forgive, leftovers, leaving God out, withheld truth. Now, this is what I want to accomplish over our next few minutes. This message can be an essential guide for anyone who is married. And this room is filled with married men and women of God who love the Lord but are right now struggling in their marriage. Some have been married married five months. Others have been married 50 years. But for whatever reason, right now, it is a struggle. But if you were here last week, we also spoke to those who were single. Those who were single again. so today's message could also be a cheat sheet for anyone who hopes to be married or remarried someday. Don't carry the same baggage you had in your previous marriage into your new marriage. Make sure that we deal with these things as we move forward. So let's take a few minutes this morning and let's talk about marriage. You know, all of us, We dream one day of finding that special someone and starting a life together. Uh, I started out young. I think I had my first little girlfriend when I was six years old. I was in Miss, Miss Lyra Kaufman's first grade class at Owens Junior High School a long, long, long time ago. And we would write notes to each other and you would say, I like you, do you like me? And then we would draw a long line and have yes or no. And it would just make you so happy when they said yes, but boy, your world would be crushed when they said no. So all of us have experienced that over the course of our life. Now, here's where we ask questions about what we're talking about today. Number one, what happens when everyday life collides with that dream? When I aspire to be married, I want to have a great marriage, not a perfect marriage, mind you, but a great marriage, But what happens when my everyday life collides with that? Number two, how do we handle managing our work and relationships and obligations so that we do not give our partner the leftovers? Now I'm not talking about the TV dinner that we leave on the kitchen table sometime when our spouse is working overtime. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about emotional leftovers. I'm talking about physical intimacy leftovers. Number three. What do we do when we wake up and realize that we've not kept God at the center of our relationship? Oh, a long time ago we started out in a one-bedroom apartment and we lived on love and peanut butter. And then as life began to happen and we made the right investments, we bought the right things, we sold the right things, and before long in our marriage we realized, you know what, I don't even think we need God anymore. We can do this on our own. Number four. How do we handle life when our expectations far exceed our realities and the person we thought would be our best friend forever lets us down? They say something, they do something, and it breaks our heart. And then lastly, how do we reconcile forgiveness, truth, and hurt? Now these are five areas out of hundreds now But you would not sit still for a sermon that had 191 points, okay? So we narrowed it to five areas that I want us to really focus on the next 20 minutes or so. So, five things that destroy your marriage. The first one we want to talk about is leftovers. Leftovers. I think a great passage of Scripture to follow that word is Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 33. You know it well. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now before I read verse 34, I think verse 33 needs to be exegeted just a moment. Seeking God first is very, very important, whether you're a single or you're married or single again. Because if God is not first in your life, then you're confused. More than likely, your life is in chaos. But it is amazing to me when we teach this, but also live it out. When we put God's first, everything else seems to sort of fall into place. But when I put another human being, or I've put my career, or I've put another relationship in front of God, I have a tendency to be confused. I have a tendency to be scattered and distracted. So I would encourage you today... Don't give your spouse the leftovers. Put God first and then put your spouse second. Because I believe that's how God intended it. So that verse 34 can kick in. That says, therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own troubles. I'm not worried about Monday. I'm taking care of Sunday because that's where I am. That's where I'm living right now. Many of us make down payments on worry that never comes to pass. And some of us are struggling with that even now in our own relationships, whether it be husband and wife or whether it be a parent to a child. So I think in marriage as well as singleness, let's learn how to seek God. Let's put His righteousness first. Priorities matter. We're trying to teach Zeke now about priorities, that when he... When he's on his way to school in the morning he's getting all of his academic books together, when he's getting all of his ball stuff together, what are his priorities? We're putting God first. Then those peripheral issues hopefully will fall into place. So I would encourage you today, man, woman, God, right after your relationship with God should be your spouse, not your mom and dad, even though mom and dad are important. I love my mom and dad. I love Joe's mom. She's just like another parent to me. But I can't put my mom and dad and their needs and wants or even my mother-in-law's needs and wants before Joe Here's another area. We're weak in. Sometimes we put our kids in front of our spouse and we wonder why there's trouble at home We wonder why there's always a struggle. Sometimes we put our career our jobs we put it all in front not only of our spouse, but we put it in front of God And therefore, we live a life that's on a broad path, but it's not a broad path that leads us to the right place. It leads us to destruction. It destroys our relationships. It destroys the opportunities that God wants to give us. So here's the question. Are you prioritizing your mate? Does he or she know that next to God, they are the most important person in their lives? Now, let me tell you what I've observed over 30 years in ministry. Marriages usually begin strong. I'll speak with a little couple in premarital counseling, and they tell me everything that I want to hear. Amen? They just want me to stand in front of them and do the I do. Amen? Well, then they start out strong, and, man, they're praying with one another. They're reading the Bible, those kind of things. They invest their time and their energy wisely. But I've also observed that as time passes... And the anniversaries start to stack up, there's this temptation to give our spouse the leftovers rather than our first fruit. And some of us today, it is causing irreparable harm to your marriage. I would encourage you today to relearn how to passionately prioritize your spouse and give to one another your best rather than your leftovers. So here's the question before we go to our second point. Are you feeding your spouse your leftovers? I've given to everybody else on the planet. So honey, you get what's left over. That won't last long. Usually, it creates job security for me. I would encourage you to take care of business even now, which leads us to point number two. Expectations. What did you expect during your dating relationship? With your future spouse what did you expect once you got married everyone enters marriage with certain expectations now a lot of this is developed from our own families of origin I would watch my mom and dad and how they interacted Joe would watch her mom and dad and how they interacted and then we bring some of that into our marriage now sometimes that's great because our parents and our grandparents get it right But what if they don't get it right and then you're passing on a curse instead of a blessing? That's where you and I have to be continually evaluating our own relationships. Be very careful of this idealized image of what we think marriage is supposed to be. And our spouse is never ever able to live up to expectation. I'm learning even now after 26 years of marriage that life is about managing expectations. Joe is learning that from her side of it as well. Uh, as much as I want to uh, say that this is not going to happen in April, but I, I'm going to be double nickels in, in April. I'm going to be 55. Sometimes, though, I feel like I'm 25, but other times I feel like I'm 95. Can anybody relate? Of course you can. But I also have to acknowledge the reality of where I am in my particular journey as well as Joe realizing where she is So there's even examples in the Word of God, and if you'll notice them on the screen with me, I'm just going to pull out three real quickly. Uh, Eve had an expectation of Adam. What if Adam had stepped up when the serpent came in? When the the devil knocked on their their door there in the garden, what what if Adam had answered the door instead of Eve and said, you're not welcome here? And you're not going to come in here saying, did God really say that? So you need to get out of my house. What if Adam had lived up to the expectation that Eve had for her husband? Or even Sarah and Abraham. What if Abraham had stood up and says, no, I'm not going to sleep with Hagar. I'm not going to sleep with your handmaiden. God has promised us a child one day. And, and from that child, uh, there will be as on the sands of, of the seashore, uh, the multitudes of people. What, what if Abraham just been a man of God and said, I, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do and I'm going to stay focused on my bride, Sarah, rather than sleeping with your handmaiden? Or what about Zipporah and her expectation of Moses? What if Moses had spoken to the rock like he was supposed to instead of hitting it, and then his whole family could have gone into the promised land. All of us, even from the Word of God, we see expectations, and then we see failed expectations because all of us fail at times to meet the level of expectation in our marriages. I think something of note that we all need to consider this morning, in one sense, we all married the wrong person. Now, be very careful if you're going to say amen to that, okay? On the surface, because of sin, we are all incompatible. Except the fact that marriage is not easy. Marriage is not simple. It must become a supernatural act of God inside of us. Last week, one of our sweet little couples came up to me after the message and said, we've been married 60-something years. It's either 62 or 67 And it just blessed me. I said, you should have preached the sermon, amen? Because what the stories they would have and what they've been through to get to the point that they're at now, it is a supernatural act of God to take two imperfect people and put them together and make them one. All right, preacher, how do I manage my expectations? First of all, you need to give up unrealistic expectations. There are things that we want out of our spouse that's just unrealistic. We we can't have these expectations over and over again and we allow them to not fulfill those expectations and then we hold a grudge against them because they didn't. Be very careful in this area. Give up those unrealistic expectations. Number two, give up unchecked assumptions. I'm just assuming this. Because my mama did it, then my wife should do it. Because my daddy did it, then my husband should do it. Be very careful in these areas. And then thirdly, give up unfavorable comparisons. Now, men and women of God, sometimes we'll think things, but be very careful before you say certain things. Over the years, Joe and I have wrestled and uh, emotionally and about certain things and I think I told you this story it been a few years ago we were in evangelism and uh, we had gotten back real late at night and I just had got through going through some cassette tapes on marriage and Joe and I had listened to them together and I don't know I just had a brain freeze I guess and I, I get into the house and I look at the house and I said are we going to ever clean up this house? It's 2 o'clock in the morning now thinking that's one thing but saying it's a whole nother thing and I said that and Joe says "Well, you just go on to bed man I laid down that bed and I'm waiting for her to come in and all of a sudden I hear the vacuum cleaner crank up it's by this time 2 30 in the morning and all of a sudden I hear the vacuum cleaner slamming against the bedroom door and she just stayed there for about 10 minutes is that clean enough for you honey unfavorable comparisons. She says, your mama's house is always clean. Our house is not going to be as clean as your mama's. You're not going to be able to eat off of our floor unless it's the five-second rule, okay? Some of us begin to compare our mate to someone that we love and care about. Sometimes it's our parents. Sometimes it may be someone else. So how do we manage our expectations? Notice on the screen with me, Ephesians 5. The Bible says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Joe and I learned early on to keep short accounts and number two, submit ourselves to each other. We try to outserve each other. Meaning that no matter what's going on, I want to try to make it easier for Joe and Joe's trying to make it easier for me and when you're trying to do that for each other, life is good. It's not always, are you going to serve me? but how can I serve my spouse? Submission is something that is very underrated in marriage. Now, you go on verse 22 and following, it gives some specific advice for the husband, some specific advice for the wife. But if it starts out in mutual submission because you love and adore one another, the other really doesn't matter because it is wholly about submitting to one another and then learning contentment. Look at 1 Timothy 6 and 6. The Bible says, now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. To be content with one another. To be content with the gift that God has given you in a spouse. To be content with your home. To be content with what you drive. To be content with your zip code. To be content with those things that the Lord has entrusted to you. Which leads us to number three. Leaving God out. We have a lot of brilliant folks in our church, individuals that academically can do it all. But no matter what your IQ or what you made on your SAT or ACT, you cannot succeed in a relationship without God, without the power of the Holy Spirit. Many a marriage has fallen on hard times when we decide that we no longer need the Lord. What started out as a strong marriage centered on Jesus Christ will quickly decay and crumble when we turn our back on God. And I've seen couples do it. I've actually officiated at the wedding ceremonies of many who started out humble, on fire for God, loving one another. And then before long, they decided we don't need God anymore. We've got this. And then they find themselves in divorce court. Notice what happened in the book of Joshua, chapter 24. Two verses there, verse 16, verse 20. The Bible says, Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Now, we're in North Alabama, of all places. We're not going to serve the gods of the Hittites or the god of the Amalekites or the god of one of those It people. No, what I're going to do and what you're going to do, we serve the gods of money, the gods of power, the gods of prestige or pride. And if we do that and we turn our backs on God, one of the first things that is harmed is our relationship with our spouse. Joshua goes on to say in verse 20 that if you forsake the Lord and you serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. You started out and God was blessing you. Now you're experiencing God's wrath in your relationship. I've seen it. I've done this long enough to see individuals who started out right and stayed strong for a period of time, and then they took their hands off the wheel and decided, you know what, we don't need the Lord anymore. It hasn't worked out well, which leads us to point number four. Failing to forgive. One of the things that I know that Joe and I have to constantly stay and focus with with one another is forgiving one another quickly not allowing things to build up not allowing them to fester Not allowing that the proverbial a uh, mountain out of the molehill But a lot of marriages they don't talk they don't communicate So things just fester and it gets uglier and meaner and bigger because you never deal with it You know, there's a parable in the book of Matthew chapter 18. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant It's a chilling reminder to those of us who will not forgive I want you to do something today. I want you to remember that you married an imperfect person. And you yourself are an imperfect person. You're going to fail. Your spouse is going to fail. But the question is, what are we going to do when that happens? You see, over time, holding a grudge will kill your relationship with your spouse. Some of us are guilty of this. Holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die from it. That's where some of us are. We're holding this contempt on the inside. We're holding this grudge on the inside. And we're drinking poison, but we're expecting our friend, our spouse, our family member, or someone else to die. Don't misunderstand your pastor this morning. Forgiveness does not automatically mean that you're now trusting and excusing another person's actions. Time does not automatically heal. Only Jesus can heal. Jesus can heal your marriage today. Jesus can heal you today, no matter what it is that ails you. So give the action, the pain, the problem, the disagreement, or the burden over to Jesus. Let me give you two verses to consider, one you know well. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. Bible says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That which is imperfect, us, serves the perfect one, but the perfect one took my imperfection so that I can have the righteousness of God. That's what happens when you and I get saved. But Colossians 3 and 13 is where I want us to focus. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You know why I can forgive Joe? Because I've been forgiven. You know the reason why Joe can forgive me? Because she's been forgiven. Because if I begin to stack up all the things that God has forgiven me of and then compare it to the few things that I need to forgive Joe of, no comparison. But some of us in this room are making what we need to forgive of much bigger than what God has forgiven us of. And it doesn't work that way. Would you be willing today to die to self and say, maybe it's me that's causing these issues? Maybe it's not always her fault. Maybe it's not always his fault. Maybe I'm culpable. Maybe there's some things on my side that I need to deal with as well. All right, leftovers, expectations, leaving God out, failing to forgive. Lastly, withheld truth. Now, we all know that lying is wrong. Amen? Well, four of us, okay? We all know lying is wrong, amen? All right. Exodus 20. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Leviticus 19 and 11. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. That includes marriage. Marriage is hard, but marriage works if you do it God's way. Withholding the truth creates the same type of behavior as lying. Christian married couples must be able to communicate. If you can't have that hard conversation with the person you've made covenant before God with, something is desperately wrong. Duplicity will destroy a marriage. What are you talking about, Joel? Pretending to be someone in public that does not match what our spouse sees in private. It's going to lead to disaster. They can only stand the hypocrisy for so long. So what do we need to do, Joel? Own up to your past. Be real. And we must recognize what stage or season we are in and deal in reality rather than fantasy. Joe and I were talking this past week. We talk a lot. We try to have good conversations. After she's been with a four-year-old all day long, she needs some good adult conversation. So she talks to Zeke, okay? No, never mind. No, we try to have discourse. We try to have conversation. In this marriage series, it always piques her interest because she'll say, things on Saturday before the Sunday, are there things that we need to get right so you're not a hypocrite in the pulpit tomorrow? And I'll say, I don't know. Check out my notes, amen? Amen. But usually we're on good ground because we communicate and we're not duplicitous. We're trying to be the same person here than we are over at 104 Cashins Court. That means a lot to your kids too because when they see a drastic difference of who mom and dad are at home versus who mom and dad are somewhere else, over time that sends a message to them. I can live like they do. I can be duplicitous as well. We must guard against becoming illusionists where we are deceived by the illusion of the perfect marriage. Joe and I don't have a perfect marriage. Now, in my humble opinion, I think we have a great marriage, but it is far from perfect. We had a couple of uh, passionate conversations this weekend about a couple of things that we passionately disagreed on. And yet, we love each other And we disagreed with each other, but we were not disagreeable. Does that make sense? And and it's possible for two people to love each other that way. So be very careful of the illusion of the perfect marriage, the illusion of the perfect mate. Now, Joe's pretty close, I gotta be honest with you, but she's not perfect. She's great, but she's not perfect. I'm striving to be a man of God and a husband that she can't help but love and a dad that my kids can't help but love but, but I know I fall short and when I fall short I say I'm sorry and I apologize and I try to make it right oh there are times that I get after Zeke and the Holy Spirit to go whoo man you need to go back and apologize I'm not going to apologize my daddy never apologized to me I'm not going to go and apologize you know what I wind up doing I apologize Why? Because it's the right thing to do. It's the God thing to do. And then there's the illusion of the perfect kid or kids. Some of you are so gracious and you'll go, oh, that picture of Danny. But I had to take 396 pictures to get that one. Facebook is not reality. Social media is not reality. No kid is perfect. But we can have great kids. We can raise up the next generation to do what they're supposed to do. God does not expect perfection in our marriage. But he does expect the pursuit of holiness. What are you talking about, Joel? Notice this last slide, and I'm done. Husband and wife at the bottom of the pyramid. Boyfriend, girlfriend, bottom of the pyramid. If I'm chasing after God, and Joe is chasing after God, We're going to get closer to each other. It's just how it is. If we're both pursuing the Lord with the passion of our heart, our intimacy is going to be better. Our communication is going to be better. But if one decides not to, it creates confusion in our homes. That's why it's so important for the husband and wife to be on the same page spiritually. Most of the time it's not. That's what gives me job security as your pastor. I would rather not have any job security. I would rather for us just to do it God's way. Because when we do it God's way, the Lord is exalted. The Lord Jesus is exalted. He's high and lifted up, and all of us are drawn to Him, even in our marriages. So my prayer is, these last few minutes, you've looked at some things in your own mirror. This is an area I can improve in. I'm doing all right in this one. This one's a little shaky. Just be honest. Go home and have a conversation and say, Honey, were there some things that Joel talked about today that we need to work on? And then be prepared if he or she goes, Yep, because it'll help you get better down the road. Don't take offense to it. Just know that he or she loves you and just wants to make it.